0: Welcome back to another episode of the After the Timeout Podcast. Today we are joined by Kyle Kavanaugh and Asim Rostogi of Essential Coaching. We have an ATO first. We have a two-part episode here. In part one, we're going to talk with Kyle and Asim about leadership, character development, and the pyramid pathway, among other things. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy.
1: right so we are very excited to talk a little bit essential coaching so Asim and Kyle kind of take us through kind of maybe why you started essential coaching you know what you were trying to accomplish how you were trying to accomplish it uh, and kind of your guys mission so far go ahead Asim
2: yeah so first off want to really say thank you to you guys for having us on I think this is a really cool opportunity we always love jumping on different podcasts and being able to tell our story, but also interact with great, great basketball people. Um, I'll give you sort of the, the, the short version of this and then Kyle can expand on it. But, you know, essential coaching was probably birthed out of an idea. I don't know, gosh, four years ago now, Kyle, where mm-hmm. you and I just started talking one day after meeting at random on a read and react webinar. And I think I had posed a question in the chat or Kyle had posed a question in the chat. We started kind of like private messaging each each other. Back then, Zoom was just like a a platform people used. It wasn't people's lives. Um, And then we just exchanged phone numbers. And from there, we just started talking basketball. But it wasn't X's and O's after probably the first like two or three months. It was, hey, how do you solve this problem with your team? Or you know, hey, check out this clip. What do you think of how we're playing? Stuff like that. And we couldn't have been from from more different places. I was coaching uh, public school girls in Fairfax, Virginia. And Kyle was coaching public school boys down in a village in Louisiana. Um, Totally different demographics, totally different situations, totally different like affluence levels, all of those things. And what we found was that the uh, the commonalities between us couldn't have been, um, there couldn't have been more commonalities between us in terms of the different situations with humans that we were dealing with, uh, different dynamics on our teams, you know, leadership, character, all of those things that we decided, you know, during kind of the height of the pandemic, like if this worked for us for several years and now all of basketball, all of everything has been shut down, what would it be like to try to bring this to other people? And so we were lucky enough to do a couple of spots on that coaches, uh, coaches clinic, the summit coaches clinic and people who reached out to us kind of became our, our guinea pigs, if you will, our first cohorts, and it's been now close to, what, two, going on two years, um, measured in pandemic time, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been amazing, and so I'll, I'll let Kyle fill in the blanks there.
3: Yeah, that's uh, a really good sort of overview, and I would just sort of echo that, you know, we met through, I think, how a lot of coaches meet through wanting to talk, schematically x's and o's hey what do you run you know if you meet a new coach it's typically like all right what kind of defense do you run what do you like offensively you know you might get into some weeds about how you want to defend the ball screen or we don't typically see coaches who meet each other and be like so what's your plan for leadership and character development how do you outreach to your parents you know what do you do to to set up your standards for your program how do you constantly check in with stakeholders in and out of your program that's not typically you know, why we bond, right? Um, because for some of us, we don't think about those things. I know I didn't for the longest time. I was a head coach at 24 years old, had been at Louisiana Tech as a graduate assistant, got an assistant coaching job at a 5 base school here in Ruston, and then, you know, through a, a couple of just bounces of the ball, if you will, became a head coach at a small private school uh, in Ruston and, and was a head coach at 24 and was like, here are the keys to this program, like, go do. And so, you know, I got to spend those two years at at Tech and and learned a ton. I realized I didn't know anything about basketball um, once you kind of get into that situation. But I thought it was all kind of what I saw, like, you know, how we're going to structure our workouts and how we're going to scout and how we're going to prepare, you know, super in-depth for an opponent. And then we as a seaman, I got to talking. We both realized that even though we were in two completely different situations, we were in exactly the same situation, if you will. Um, our problems were the same, the context and the nuance within those were, were different, but at the end of the day, like kids are kids, players are players, coaches are coaches, we're all human beings. And that's sort of how this idea of this, this pyramid pathway that I think we'll get into a little bit later, but the foundation of that is this human component, which you could, well, you can guys can see the behind me on the, the background is this wheel of how do we connect and recruit? and not just player acquisition recruit. So coaches always hear that and they're like, oh, well, I'm in high school. I don't get to recruit. And we're like, no, we're not, that's not what we're talking about. It's not about going out and signing like some five-star kid. It's how do you recruit the people that are already in your locker room? How do you recruit your staff? How do you recruit your administration, your teachers, your fans, your, you know, your stakeholders, your boosters? Um, how are you recruiting yourself in a lot of ways? Um, and we just kind of kept coming up with the same common theme over and over and over again. If it was if we were having an issue offensively, it likely was not a technical tactical issue. It was a, a we're not teaching it the right way. We're not providing the right type of feedback. You know, the, we were just talking about this earlier today, like the Mike Neighbors, you know, I've told you a thousand times, why can't you do this? And it's like, well, if I've had to tell you a thousand times, I'm probably not connecting with you the way that I need to. And so it just, I guess, sort of slowly but rapidly evolved Um, you know, into this thing where we realize, hey, this is the best professional development we've ever had is just having a conversation with each other. And if it works for us, maybe it works for somebody else. And we looped in one other friend who's a local guy here and kind of had a text chat going with him. And then like Asim said, once the pandemic hit, we just reached out and probably had about three dozen coaches in the initial group. And we've got, I would say, you know, probably a couple dozen of those that are still with us that we can that are our ogs and we we talk to them every single day um, through slack whatsapp messaging text message we still have weekly zooms that we do with our ogs um, we get voice messages we get text messages and it's just they're all dealing with these problems that nobody seems to want to talk about nobody wants to you know everybody sort of has a solution to somebody else's problem, but we don't take the time to listen to what your problem actually is. And I think that's really, if, if we're unique in any kind of way, that's what that is.
2: Yeah. And, and just to add to that real quick, I know that, that we've, that's kind of a long answer to a, a shorter question, but the ultimate idea here is not to create something that's like, hey, join this cohort for X amount of weeks and we'll present slides to you and give you a prescribed you know, course on how to deal with certain things. That's not what we do, right? Everybody's situations are individualized. Everybody's situations have their own context to them. And what we like to say that we do, and probably the ultimate compliment we've ever gotten from people who, are, who have signed up to work with us is you guys ask really great questions. You guys ask the best questions of anybody I've ever met. And you make me think about what I'm doing before I actually do it, because I didn't learn this in my coaching master's degree program right? That's, that's what we're after.
0: So I want to uh, transition here, I guess, your guys' foundations, right? Your, your kind of core values in coaching, uh, you know, based on, on your experience and, and lessons you guys learned along the way. So how, how have you guys taken those lessons? And obviously, we're all still learning those lessons, right? We, we, we learn something all the time. And your experiences. And kind of put them into your individual you know core values of coaching because again that's something that everybody is different on right everybody has different experiences everybody has different influences so how have you guys taken all those all those and, and kind of put them into your core values
2: oh you can go first here if you want to okay um
3: you know i think again, you, you get this first day coaching job or you want to interview for a coaching job and you want to put this portfolio together or this resume together. And it's like, you know, what words am I going to use to describe me? So like, what, that's something else that Asim and I sort of talked about a lot uh, originally is like looking at each other's basically resumes and portfolios. And, you know, it's like, do we want to be about enthusiasm or do we want to be about, you know, uh, commitment or toughness or competition? And there's all those kind of, overarching words and they're all really good, but we've sort of realized kind of, it, you know, over these years that like, it's not necessarily like so much the word that you use because there's so much commonality. Like we can very easily tie commitment, toughness, and enthusiasm together, and they're going to have sort of common themes. And so it's not really so much like what you say you, you want to be about. It really comes down to how are you recruiting those people that are that are in your program and at the end of the day what we tend to think is the most important thing is how are we training and and, and practicing and, and creating opportunities for our players to practice good behaviors and what we sort of collectively define as a as a, a a productive or positive behavior which eventually becomes that habit and so the thing that we like to say a lot is is what is the next best decision so you know it, we can't often you know, whatever happens to us, it's how we respond. You know, you hear people talk about that a lot of times. Well, how we respond is really the next best decision. And so we're training the, the character of our program. And what we would define as character is the repeatability of positive habits. So it's it's what are we doing to make the next best decision? I screw up. I screw up. We're all going to make mistakes. This sort of almost mythical thing in coaching about perfection you know, we want the perfect defensive possession, the perfect offensive possession. We want perfection in this pass or this cut. And, and honestly, like it just doesn't exist. Like perfection does not, especially consistent perfection. It's just not going to happen, especially in basketball games, too chaotic, it's too fluid. It's too this, it's too that. So it's not how close to perfection were we, it's where, where did we sort of fall in and how do we go on from there? And what is the next best decision that I can make? like your point guard doesn't want to throw it to the other team on that entry play. Like you've got this magical set set up that you learn from some European guru and you're so excited about it and you can't get into it because your point guard throws it to the defender. And it's like, he didn't mean to do that, right? Like nobody wants to turn it over, but now we're faced with a decision. Do we sprint back on D? How do we pick each other up? And then the other four teammates on the floor, they have a decision to make,
1: you know, do they hang their heads? Do they
3: yell at them? What are we doing on the bench? What do you as a coach do? How does your body language, how does your sort of temperament project onto your kids? And so even just taking one little situation like that and sort of rocketing, if you will, um, and breaking down like what all those next decisions could be and then what are the uh, sort of consequences for each of those types of actions and really just diving into a conversation like that. And and like I said, we do that with with some of our our original members every Tuesday and Thursday, where we'll just take like a situation like that and kind of break down what would be the next best decision. And if we don't know what that is, is that on our players? Is that on us? Have we talked about what those behaviors might need to be, what those decisions might need to be? And if we haven't, then it's like we're we're expecting an awful lot from 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds And and in a lot of ways we're expecting more from them than we expect from ourselves. And I think you see that a lot on coach Twitter about like body language and stuff like that. You know, we yell at the players about body language screams and then we the coach are literally screaming and our body language is terrible. And so it's like, we, we often say that like the coach is the least committed person in the program because we expect so much from our kids, but we don't necessarily expect the same thing from ourselves. So, like, again, sort of a long winded answer here to like, what do we believe foundationally? It's are we collectively talking about what these next best decisions and behaviors are going to be and what that connection is? And oftentimes, most of our problems is not because we did something wrong, it's because we didn't make that next connection or there's some unfinished business in the room that we haven't gotten to yet, which again is okay. It's going to happen. Like, we can't possibly cover everything in the first team meeting. And we're we're going to evolve as the season goes, but that's why this is such a, a fun process and a journey because we don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. But if we can do enough up front to, as we would say, stack the deck in your favor, then we can, you know, it, not eliminate a lot of the problems that we're going to have, but we at least sort of have a, a framework in place for how we're going to handle it. And I think that's really what we we hope that the coaches that we work with are, are able to navigate.
1: That's a Really interesting premise, uh, not to, to cut you off there, a seam, but that Kyle, you, you were that was really interesting that coach is the least committed person uh, in the room or on the team. That's a really interesting concept, that's very well said. And, and
3: just to sort of add to that, and again, not to cut a seam off, but we, how many times have we figured out what offense we want to run in March, April, May, and June? And then when the season rolls around, oh, it doesn't work. Let's do something else. You know, here's game plan. We're going to scout our butts off. All right, here's the game plan. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Well, scrap that. We're going to go on to something else. And it's like, how can we possibly expect our kids to understand and have any clarity and alignment towards what we're about if we're constantly shooting at different targets or hitting the bullseye of the wrong target? And again, we just we expect so much from kids as if they've been taught, or there are these ready-made products that are coming to us, and we sort of forget the fact that we have to do a ton of that teaching, not necessarily for them, but with them, Um, and that's, again, that's a lot of what we see, and even coaches that we've worked with for two plus years now, we all sort of fall short with this, Um, and, and I actually haven't coached the last three years, but I've been in the classroom teaching seventh graders, and I'm guilty of this, You know, you forget that they're in seventh grade sometimes, like, where's your pencil? Like, well, they're in seventh grade. You know, they got a lot going on, too. Um, And meanwhile, you know, I was 30 seconds late coming to the room because I got caught up having a conversation coming back from lunch. So I was tardy. And but I get away with it because I'm the adult. So, you know, my 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 sort of standard and expectation is different from theirs, but we expect them to be held to a higher standard.
2: I don't mind being cut off. Nobody likes the sound of my voice, least of all my players. So this is, this is totally fine. Um, No, I mean, listen, I, I think Kyle said it very well. I think the, the idea that, you know, we as coaches espouse a lot of things like, you know, always be the, you know, the dumbest person in the room and be a constant learner. And we want to be sponges and I'm trying to learn this and that, but I think we equate learning with the collection of stuff like a collection of knowledge. If somebody were to give me an X's and O's test, I could definitely pass because I can draw it up on the board. But in the same breath, we'll also say that drawing it up on the board is like 1% of coaching, right? I think we've all heard these tropes before, these coach speak sort of coachisms. Uh, And so I think when just like asking coaches those questions to say like, you're not wrong, right? Like we all need to be able to do those things, but how much importance are we placing on that versus the ability to teach in a in a classroom setting? The ability to break down film in a way that the kids can understand it. And I say kids, like I don't deal with kids. I deal with adults, right? My players are 18 to 22 years old. And so when I have a, a, an adult sitting next to me, it's a very different thing than having a 14 year old who's never watched themselves on film before right? Who's never really had an understanding of what they're supposed to be looking for. And so even for for us, I mean, I have kids who have recurring appointments with me every week to watch film. And we might watch them, we might watch the opponent, we might watch a combination. But ultimately, we have a very aligned process and a very aligned system that we are looking for when we watch film. So can we find our practice in film? Can we find, uh, you know, things that we've emphasized? What about a particular move that we've been working on in the context of the game? And so I think when you ask about sort of those core value things and how they relate to um, kind of what we do at Essential Coaching, it, it really is like how we would run a program as a head coach, right? We want to make sure we've reduced all the complexity and variability so we know exactly what we're talking about. So that our players know exactly what we're talking about. So our employees know exactly what we're trying to do. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. And as your skill level improves at doing those things, we will have more success. Right. But when coaches are the least committed in the room, they're like, oh, I saw Gannon Baker do this incredible drill talking about visualization. So we're just going to visualize all practice. Well, dude, that doesn't work. Right. We can't visualize things we've never actually experienced before. That's a fool's errand. And so being able then to take that and say, all right, we're going to put this type of, you know, context to the game, we're going to show it on film, we're going to give a paper quiz on it, we're going to make sure that we've hit all of these different ways that kids might learn or adults might learn and involve them in their learning. Now we're doing the same thing with coaches and coaches that we work with have learned at an accelerated rate, uh, which is just really
1: fascinating to watch. So I want to talk about social emotional learning within a team. I think we all talk about it within our classroom, um, but kind of how do you as a coach um, kind of build that social emotional learning into practice, into games um, from like a teacher aspect?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is it comes down to recognition that the human component is really what matters. I think sometimes, especially when you get in the throes of the season, uh, you spend a lot of time on schematic things or scout or, you know, watching video and, and, and just really like overloading with information, not understanding that the people who are in front of you are people first. And their interactions within their small societies are really what makes learning happen. And so if the room is not psychologically safe, if the trust is not there that, you know, what this, what the coach is saying is actually going to work or, you know, that I have your best interests at heart, then it really doesn't matter. We can put together the best possible scout. We can put together the best possible practice, but at the end of the day, the kids are, are the, you know, the players, the people that are there need to be psychologically safe first. The environment needs to be one where we encourage learning through, and I hate using the word failure, but it's Sunday and words are escaping me, right? Failure is an option. We're going to, we're gonna fail more often than we quote unquote succeed. I mean, you think about like baseball, for example, even the best hitter is gonna miss 60% of the time, right? 65, 70% of the time. So if you're judging it by how many times you get a hit, right? Same thing in basketball. If we're judging the number of times a kid makes a shot in practice, well, that kid might go through practice and make like one shot. Did they have a bad practice? No. Right. So we need to be able to sort of understand where those goalposts are and not move them because as soon as moving those goalposts and saying like, well, now this is what success is. Well, tomorrow, this is what success is going to be that's no longer a psychologically safe environment. Like if we're not able to have an aligned and congruent way of giving feedback, of planning our practices, of giving an opportunity for success to happen, then we're gonna be in a whole heap of trouble. Uh, And that's really where the, the social emotional part comes in because now if you have all those pieces in place, you're able to allow all of those athletes and all of those coaches to exist on the same playing field and to exist on the same level at which we can give each other feedback. And it's a much safer environment to ensure that all of those people can experience success every day, in the midst of experiencing some crushing failures, uh, you know, inside their own mind, even. And I I would add on the
3: emotional part, because this is another one of these sort of troped platitudes that we hear a lot of coaches talk about, especially when it comes to like viewing film, for example, because we want to watch it and we want to remove emotion from it. And it's like, can you really do that, though? Like our players are not robots. We are not robots. The game is full of emotion. So it's it's very difficult. And again, you're sort of setting yourself up for this failure if you're sort of expecting this perfection of, well, we're going to view our film through the lens of not having any emotion whatsoever. And that's really just sort of asking a lot because at the end of the day, like we're all human beings. This human component runs deep through all of us. And if we, if we start by saying something to our kids at the beginning of the year and say, this is what we're going to be about. All right, one, two, three, family break. All right, that's the end of that team meeting. And we get into January and we're on a three game skid and we've got this opponent coming up that we've got five films on and we want to scout them to death and run through all this and that. Then they're looking at you going, but you said we were going to be about this. You know, you said we were going to commit to taking care of our bodies, taking care of our minds. You know, you mentioned mental health at one point, and now we seem to not care about that anymore. We said we were going to do leadership and character development. But when it really came down to it and push came to shove, well, we were going to be more about the scout, more about the X's and O's, more about these other things. And I think what I have learned, especially teaching seventh grade, And I've always kind of thought this, but even down in this, and I do work with like fourth and fifth graders too, doing leadership character development with them. They are so much smarter, they're more mature, and they are way more perceptive than we tend to give them credit for. Now, are they young and immature and make their mistake? Absolutely. But I know a lot of adults that are young and immature and and make their mistakes too. But I think we just we tend to think that because you're young or that they're a kid that they haven't lived any life yet. And there are some there are some kids out there that have lived a lot of life, a lot but a lot of adults that have seen some real stuff and gone through some real things, especially these last few years. When you tack on not just the physical toll of a pandemic, but the emotional toll of the pandemic and having to go to school wearing masks and not talking to friends or having to, you know, you're in first grade and you're having to learn math in front of a computer and not be in your room or not get to go eat or these types of things. Like these kids have lived through some things and we tend to forget the fact that they can handle probably a little bit more than we tend to give them credit for. And they see right through the BS. So we sit here and we tell them, hey, this is what we're gonna be about. And as soon as it hits the fan, we go the opposite direction. And that's another just sort of that, what I'm talking about when we're the least committed. And and oftentimes what's great, and probably some of the most impactful moments I've had in teaching and coaching is when one of my players or my students has reminded me of that. And, and, and I have, it's a little too long for here, but I've told this story several times where the second year going into Simsboro, we had won a state championship and coming back and we had a chance to win another one. And I had just been fired from my previous job that I got when I was at 24, I got fired seven years in and went across town and we were very talented, obviously, and successful, and the second year, I became about offensive efficiency and numbers. And we had the number one offense in the state. So it was like I had a lot to prove because I was coming off of being fired, wanting to show everybody that I knew how to coach. And finally, one day, I had one of our seniors texting me. And he was like, hey, look, you're, you're different. You know, you, you, we bought into all of this. And the school had been 42 years without winning a state championship. And we sort of introduced some of these other ideas. And we got over the hump. And we committed to that. And we bought into all that. And now you're acting like it doesn't matter anymore because we won. And we were like 15 and two at the time, but we hated life. Like we were constantly eating the crap out of people, but it felt miserable. It felt like we were losing. And it's because we got away from the things that we said we were going to be about. And luckily, I think I give this kid all the credit in the world because I think he changed the trajectory of our season and we were able to go on and be successful again. But I give him credit for sort of standing up to the adult in the room and saying no 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 no. you said we were going to do this now you're doing something different I want to go back to that and probably one of the worst moments in my coaching career but also one of the most proud because we had obviously taught that that young man something
0: right so you guys you guys mentioned it um the leadership and, and character development part um and that's super important because a lot of teams, people become natural leaders, whether especially at high school with a senior or whatever. Um, so how are we developing that uh, to, to have that positive leadership that, that, and working with everybody, everybody has a character flaw, whether it maybe be body language, whether it be um, things like that. So how, how are you incorporating that in your, your daily lives and your daily coaching? to promote that that positive leadership and that character development because you know everybody uses leadership, but that can also go the other way and be 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 negative leadership. If you're not giving examples and and helping your players who who, you know people gravitate to, and and even those who aren't um, and giving them them those skills.
2: Yeah, so I think it's, it's funny that you say like natural leaders, right? And then mentioning seniors as well. And I don't think you're wrong, but I think we rely on that too much, right? We rely on this idea that just because our players get older, they're now in a position to have some sort of influence. And, you know, I've seen it go, I think we've all seen it go, a mul- you know, a multitude of ways. Some kids are better suited for it than others. But I would caution any coaches listening to really understand like, looking at leadership and character development the same way we would at skill development, we have to have a plan that supersedes having a guest speaker or doing some activities here and there. Um, We have to have a a legitimate plan for how we are going to look at, let's say like a ninth grader or for, you know, in, in our case in college, a first year in college through to their senior year and develop at things that actually matter right actually matter within the context of our program so i'll give you an example so for us we play a lot in the pick and roll right we want we want to set a lot of ball screens we look at multiple different coverages how do we use spacing all of those things we can't even get to the skill component of using a skate dribble hitting on the screen triple a screening all of those things until we have a full really good understanding of our four essential elements of basketball, so spacing, sprinting, seeking, and shot selection. So once we have that part in, now we can address any of the behaviors that go with that. So same thing with leadership and character development. If we don't have an aligned way of looking at what leadership actually consists of in our program, what do we need our quote unquote leaders, what do we need our quote unquote captains to actually do and then work backwards and, and really develop those skills in every player, we're going to shortchange the majority of the players on our team. Because we're always going to perpetuate this thing that seniors are the ones who are going to lead. Our upperclassmen are the ones who, who are going to lead. Right? I've had conversations with players on our current team where they're like, well, I'm just a freshman. I, I can't say anything. I said, no, you absolutely can say something. It's like being on public transportation. If you see something, say something. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. Right. And so Kyle's wearing the hoodie right now. Obviously, people listening can't see, but it says cheese be cold on it. And that stems from a story uh, that I'm not going to tell because I don't tell the story very well. Uh, But the cheese be cold story stems from people not doing something that's super easy that would have made somebody else's life a lot better because it wasn't their job. Right. They just passed the buck to somebody else. And so when we think about intentional leadership and character development, it's not about catchphrases, it's not about like, you know, fun names for different exercises and stuff like that. It's about doing the nitty gritty work and having conversations with our team that may be tough, that may be something that's not very comfortable for them because it doesn't come naturally to them to say something to somebody else. It's about them also looking for things that are out of alignment and figuring out a way to make that next best decision to put them back into alignment and making that next connection with each of their teammates with each of their coaches to ensure that we're all on the same page moving forward. And that's the majority of what we see in terms of uh, leadership and, and character development going south is just that inability to make the next connection. The inability to actually recognize what's wrong or what needs improvement and then improving it and not just relying on somebody else to do it, right? About having that conversation in the locker room that may be tough, but will make our team better and vice versa. When we talk about accountability, using celebration as a form of accountability as well, right? Accountability to hold someone accountable just means them to hold them to account of what happened. And that can be either a really, really good thing or something that needs improvement. And we often just look at accountability, which is this buzzword that everybody likes to use as a negative thing. Well, if we were to use celebration as a form of accountability, and we start to celebrate the things we want to see, human nature will say like, yes, let's continue to celebrate the things we wanna see because that which gets celebrated gets repeated.
1: So kind of to go into that you guys kind of started to lead into it but we really wanted to talk to you guys about the pyramid pathway and kind of what that idea means and and what it means to coaching yeah so i i
3: sort of alluded to this earlier um the foundation of that being this human component which again is about the the recruiting and the relationships you know the more connections that we can make uh, make with one another or touch points or whatever you want to call it if they're done authentically right we can start to build you know trust and respect with each other and we can sort of build this authentic relationship that 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 we are all about and so if we don't have that foundation everything else that we've got in our program is going to end up crumbling and so one of the, the themes that we talk about a lot and i'm a science teacher so i is is this concept of entropy, the law of entropy, the sort of the chaotic randomness disorder of the universe. And the universe is ever expanding. And it's 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 never going to be put back in this nice, nice, neat little box. And so there's there's our programs are the same way. They're these open systems where there's always going to be, you know, expanding chaos within our program. And, and no, no two teams are ever quite the same. You know, no, no two teams are the same from year to year. No two team is is the same from August to March. And a lot of it is is due to the fact that we are human beings, that, that, that we are emotional, that we do have to live through life and that basketball is not the only thing in our lives and we've got all this other stuff going on. And so we have to understand that we're constantly gonna be bombarded with this entropic energy. And so we have to get ahead of that as much as we possibly can. So we say no unfinished business. And, and stack the deck in our favor. Well, we do that by building these relationships. Now, once we do that and we have that foundation, the next tier to that pyramid is program development, program and person development, that leadership, that character, setting standards, talking about things like inner voice versus external formulas and self-talk and character development and defining what great behaviors in our program might look like or negative behaviors might look like and once we start to work on who we are as people through that relationship piece we can start talking about the environment that we that we sort of coexist in so practice design environmental design how we're going to get through a scout how we're going to if we're going to do classroom learning what does that look like how do we act you know on a bus you think about all the places that we go as a team those are all different environments where we've got to figure out okay how are we going to you know, represent ourselves and our programs and all those types of things, even if we're not collectively together. You know, I, I'm still representing my team, even though I might be on vacation somewhere. Um, I go watch another team play in their tournament, I'm still a part of, of, of our program. So I have to represent myself. So all these different environments in which we, we live in, and then at the very tippity top of the pyramid is the, the technical tactical piece the schematical piece, the X's and O's. And that's what typically gets the most attention, right? But we wanted to sort of flip that on its head and say, no, if we look at this from a a pyramid standpoint, you're not going to build a pyramid flipped upside down with the X's and O's up top because it's just going to topple over very easily. So if we don't have this nice wide base or foundation built through our recruiting and relationships, then even our leadership and character development, even if we want to be, Great people, even if we want to hold people to account. Well, I can't do that if we don't trust and respect each other, right? It's going to go one in and out the other, or we're, I'm going to brush you off, or whatever the case may be. And even if we have those, then we can finally start to talk about the, the practice that we're going to have or the environment that we're going to have. So, teaching, feedback systems that we have, how we communicate, and, and, and even getting down to defining like what actually teaching is. What is learning? What is, why do we teach? Why do we practice? You know, is is it to 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 have a really nice clean practice? Is it to quote unquote game prep? You know, we had this conversation the other day too. Like, what's the difference between practice and game prep? Are they mutually exclusive? Or are they two different things? Um, how are we teaching and learning? How are we creating feedback systems? Does that feedback go one way? Does it go multiple ways? Is it 360? Where does the feedback typically come from? How are we doing it? What questions are we asking? Blah blah blah, all that type of stuff. And then eventually, once we get to all that, then yeah, we're gonna run some really kick-ass, Spain pick on ball stuff, or we're gonna, you know, we're gonna sprint the floor and run two-sided break, or we're gonna talk about how we're gonna run floppy, or you know, whatever cool little word that we want to get to, we can do that. But it's it seems futile if we can't do that on that foundation. And if we don't, then uh, you know, a house built on rock or a house built on sand, right? Like one's obviously going to crumble. And that's what you start to see is throughout these seasons, because of that interview, because of all the stuff that we have to weather during a season. Those foundations start to crack and crumble, and we're right about to that point, right? December to January, here comes conference play, here comes district play. You know, we've been through it. We've got injuries, we've got COVID, we've got parents who are pissed about playing time. We got kids that are pissed about playing time. We got promises that were made that have been unkept, you know, kids are struggling. We're sort of getting to that part of the season, that quote unquote grind that everybody talks about. Well, you look around your conference, you're going to start to notice very easily which teams are built on more of a foundation of human component and which teams are built more on a foundation of X's and O's. And I say that even for the, the teams that are super talented, because we also know a ton of teams that have a massive amount of talent that can make up for a lot of those deficiencies. But at some point of eventually one of these days that unfinished business is
2: going to come out. And just, just real quick to add to that. I think too, like, it's not a static thing of like, yeah, now we have this foundation so we can go focus on the X's and O's. It's also where you look for solutions. I think, you know, as a fast model contributor, I love the fact that I get X amount of page views every year. I think that's awesome. Like, thanks for, thanks for the support. But none of that stuff is going to work if we're lacking the things that are, are really important, which is authenticity, connections, respect, trust, all of those things, right? So it's where we look for those solutions, too. And I think when we do hit that, quote, unquote, grind, and I wrote a blog post on this last year um, that's up on our website right now that is worth reading about how it can't possibly be a grind if we're supposed to find joy in it, like the majority of that grind feeling comes from looking for solutions in the wrong places. Right. Where we can't score. So we need to put in five more sets to make it easier for us to score. No, you can't score because your players aren't skilled enough. Because you spend 45 minutes on stationary ball handling drills thinking that's going to help you run your offense. It's not. Right. So, how do we create a better environment? How do we create better relationships amongst our team where they do trust that somebody's going to have their back if they get beat? Right. Those are the things when we're looking for solutions, we have to start at the bottom of that pyramid every time and rarely, if ever, is it truly an X's and O's tech tag type solution.
0: Alright, so I want to kind of go into that a, a, a little bit um, with the, the Playmakers League, right? That's like, we're getting to like the third third tier here. Uh, you just talked about, it's not necessarily X's and O's, but it's either skill or you know, a lot of times decision-making, right, um, things like that. So, so teaching that Playmakers League, uh, I believe it's Brian McCormick uh, kind of concept. Brian McCormick does a lot of great stuff. and I think everybody, a lot of people have seen his stuff. But mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about Playmakers League, the, the concept and what it is. And, and then within that, that Playmakers League, carrying those concepts over to, like, player development and youth and high school programs.
2: Yeah, so about, gosh, what was it now, five-ish months ago, six months ago, Kyle, Brian uh, approached us about getting together and basically reinvigorating the Playmakers brand. And so we claim zero credit for the idea of Playmakers, the the execution of it. That is all, Brian, it's been around since 2009. Uh, what I think we can claim a little bit of credit for is designing a pretty awesome website Um, and trying to go out and and prospect people to change the face of youth basketball development um, in in this country and really throughout the world. I think for a long time, the U.S. has relied on having just more athletic players Um, and really like obviously the invention of the game and all of those things. But you see that the the player development that is happening now across the world uh, supersedes, I think, and, and feel free to disagree here, uh, supersedes, I think, the majority of player development within the U.S. And so Brian has been a long, long time advocate of more of a long-term athletic development model, small-sided games, using three-on-three as the vehicle to teach basketball uh, in this country. And so using the Playmakers League framework, uh, and without going into too many of the like the, the nitty gritty of what actually exists, uh, we have three different curricula that people can purchase and become operators of a league. And we would consider a league to be 32 kids. That's kind of the the baseline for a full league of 32 kids. Um, And we have a full curriculum for ages five, really five and up of how to develop, not just basketball decision-making and basketball skill, but overall athleticism, overall coordination, overall ability to play with others. Um, And so, you know, we have people all over the country that are going to start using this as, you know, their spring and summer league, as their feeder systems, as, excuse me, a complement to what they're doing right now. So when you talk about even like the the implications or the applications of youth basketball development through three-on-three and small-sided games to a middle school, high school, or even college program, those applications are limitless. Right. We can take that same curriculum and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just use this as your practice plan see what happens? Right? yes, we don't want to replace five-on-five, right? Three-on-three is not going to replace five-on-five. It's going to augment the development for five-on-five. And ultimately with three-on-three also being an Olympic sport, there are now pathways for really, really good three-on-three players to go play at a very high level. And so being able to sort of capitalize on all of those things and and really create an environment where players are getting an opportunity to have the most possible time on task, right? Obviously the most possible time on task would be playing one-on-one. Playing one-on-one is also like, there's only certain things you can do one-on-one until you need to involve more players. And so being able to reduce some of that complexity, to be able to reduce some of that interference and really help players just develop a love for the game and the ability to play the game well That's sort of the overall guiding force behind playmakers. And even for myself as a college coach, like I see applications for this to replace AAU at some point, I would rather go to an event where I'm going to watch the kids. I want to watch play that are on my recruiting list. I want to watch them play three on three where they can't hide in a zone defense, right? Where they can't, they have to actually make a decision because they're going to touch the ball where they have to actually defend somebody one-on-one be in help and then close out and be ready to play. All of those things replace the current model of what we all lament about AAU, but there's no like viable other option. This becomes the viable other option. Um, and so we'll be you know, rolling that out here pretty soon as an opportunity for high school players uh, to come and, and learn and then play. And we can see them actually develop in a very short amount of time.
3: I want to touch on something Asim said, he mentioned environment. So taking that and going back to the, our pyramid, that third tier, the, the practice divine, uh, design in the environment, like we are all products of our environment. So again, it's like if, if we're not learning the way we want to, again, it's not necessarily the, the content itself or that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a, a, enough of a SME of my subject matter to understand what's going on. It's, it's chances are we need to tweak the environment that our, our kids are in. And that's something that I have greatly evolved uh, in in education over my uh, thirteen years in the classroom. Is I went from a very like sage on the stage. I have to show the kids what all I know. I'm going to stand up here and pontificate and tell you every single intricate detail that I can about photosynthesis because it makes me sound really smart when I get to talk about it. But it goes right over the kids' heads. They don't learn anything, and I feel better about it. But they didn't learn. A few of them soak up something here and there, but you know, they're going to forget about it right after the test. Whereas now, like, I don't do a whole lot in my class. I do a lot, but I, I don't do a whole lot. It's the kids that are doing most of the work. We create this environment to where they're coming up with an idea, and then they get to write on a sticky note and come up to the board and put it up there. So they're a little bit more, like, kinesthetically involved with what we're doing and so on and so forth. So what, what Brian has been able to do through, again, not our credit, his genius, is create this environment In which kids can not only develop, but develop faster because they're spending more time on task. And again, we won't get into necessarily these details, but we have, you know, different rules to how we would even play a game. So I think what you're going to see with on the heels of the big three in the Olympics is like three on three is picking up some momentum, which is great. Like, I think it's better than not doing it. And we, we talk a lot about good, better, best. So like, it's good to play. It's, It's better to play three on three, but it's best to play three-on-three with a developmental model in mind. And what you're gonna end up seeing is a lot of coaches around the country are gonna buy into this idea of three-on-three. They're gonna print off a poster, they're gonna slap a FIBA logo on it and be like, hey, come play three-on-three. And ultimately what you get is a shitty three-on-three pickup instead of shitty five-on-five pickup. And which we could argue is better than five-on-five, right? Because they're still getting this and that and they're, they're getting more touches and reps and space and whatever. But there's also a better way of doing it. There's that sort of, again, what we would sort of consider the best way to do it. So we're developing through the idea of three on three, but it's not just, Hey, let's sign kids up, give them a t-shirt, put them in teams of four and let them play three on three. This goes a lot deeper than that. And honestly, as, as a coach, you develop because you're figuring out how to run your practice better. what, is, is most beneficial to those kids. And so sort of the idea of, of Brian wanting to change the way we develop youth in the country, Asim and I wanted to change the way we develop coaches in this country. That's where that natural marriage sort of comes in. And that partnership was very easy. It was very fluid because, you know, we, we can't give our kids and our players and our, our students a better experience if we can't reach the adults first because they're the ones that are typically ultimately responsible for what type of environment that they're in and so it's our hope that we're able to mesh these two things and that we we tweak the way that the adults are doing things and kind of what they're setting up and kind of get out of their way in a lot of respects um is to allow these players to be a little bit more of their natural selves and to learn and do and fail and make mistakes and use the environment more as the teaching tool than say the X's and O's, the content, the textbook, that kind of thing. And if you teach or you're in education, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like we have to teach to the test, right? Like we're all sort of ass- us as teachers are assessed on whether or not our kids pass their-, their end of year exam or whatever. And we spend all this time teaching to the test, but we don't learn anything. And that's kind of what we're what we're trying to do here is flip that on its head and say, look, we're not trying to teach to the test to five on five. We're trying to actually have you learn how to play basketball. And one of the things that I, I think we can be pretty certain of is if our essential coaching members, if any of their players went to another essential coaching members program, their kids would be able to just seamlessly fit in and play because they're viewing things through more of that essential element model, the sprinting, the spacing. It's not so much what we're doing. It's that they've, learned how to play. So one of our our players in Florida can go to Kansas and they would be able to just kind of fit right in. And I think that's, again, the ultimate goal, especially if I'm a college coach and I'm recruiting. I want to be able to go get players that I know are going to sort of seamlessly fit in.
1: Thank you for listening to part one of our two-part episode with Coaching Essentials founders, Aseem Rastogi, and Kyle Kavanaugh. Tune in next time for part two, where we dig into fitting your X's and O's into your players' strengths, making them simplified, coaching in order for your players to better understand, and implementing scouting into your team's overall preparation. As always, tune in next time for more coaching content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.